Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Well, kind of, right? Um, this morning I am a few subway stops uh, south downtown in Chinatown at um, the New York Chinese Baptist Church. I'm bringing a message with them this morning, and so uh, miss you guys, but can't wait to, to be back next week. Um, actually, our, our church retreat is next week, so I'm sure somebody will talk about that uh, later this morning, but um, miss you all. But I get an opportunity because of the wonderful world of technology to bring a message to you this morning, and we're going to follow up from Easter. Well, what's next? Well, uh, in Luke chapter 24, we see um, Jesus meeting up with a couple uh, people that are walking on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem, and he has a conversation with them uh, there. You know, I love walking. We live real close to Central Park um, here on the Upper West Side, and a lot of times I'll meet up with friends and uh, we'll just walk. Yeah, even if we're just going to if we just wanted to get together and talk, we'll do that as we walk around the reservoir or the Great Lawn or something. Have a lot of great conversations uh, doing that. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, well, this is uh, quite a walk that we're going to read about this morning. These two um, gentlemen are walking and all of a sudden Jesus, the risen Savior, comes and walks alongside of them and uh, has a discussion with them. So um, the good news is we get a peek in on that conversation to a certain degree. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in Luke chapter 24. So let's turn there and read this passage of scripture. It says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad, and one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, 
while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the account of the resurrection and this conversation with these two on the road to Emmaus. God, teach us this morning. Teach us what it is we should know here, what it is we should learn, what we can learn from you, God. Open our eyes and may we be doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the 1880s, there was a uh, French artist named Georges Seurat. Um, he introduced a art form called pointillism. Now, you may have heard about this, or, or you may recognize uh, certain pictures um, that were painted this way. And, and really what it is was, instead of using brush strokes, he used small dots of color, right? Um, and created these paintings, these images. And up close, if you get real close, it just looks like a bunch of little dots, but as you back up, as the observer backs up, the human eye blends the dots together and these brightly colored portraits or landscapes come to life. There's one famous one called A Day in the Park, something or another. You probably would recognize that with ladies with umbrellas and different things. It's a famous painting. But, you know, scripture is the same way in a lot of ways. Up close, it's complexity. We read some of these stories. We see some of the things that have happened, especially in the Old Testament. And it leaves us with kind of an impression like dots on a canvas, these individual dots. But when we back up, when we look at it as a whole and see the whole picture, the big story that God has written there, it blends together. It makes sense and shows us the full work of art. We see the whole story, right? And so we might feel like Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, they couldn't quite understand the dots because they had learned all these things about, uh, from the prophets and about Scripture and all these things, and they knew all the information, but they had not yet put it together. They got here to Passover weekend, and, and they had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one who, to redeem Israel, right? But he died. They saw him crucified on the cross, and they weren't sure what was coming next. They were confused. And as they walk, Jesus comes along and walks with them, and they don't recognize him, as the passage says, because they're wrapped up in their own grief and their own confusion. It had been a, a few rough days. And so they say to Jesus, Hey, are you new? You haven't heard? They say aloud, what Jesus already knows is going on inside them. Jesus walks up. He already knows the confusion that's going on. And it's interesting here that Jesus always comes to us in our confusion. He always comes to us in our doubt. He's always pursuing us. He's pursuing you this morning and me. He, he desires for us to see the whole picture. And he knows that, that we often get lost in the small dots of life, the small dots of religion at times. And he wants us to see the big picture. He wants us to know him. And so they are confused, obviously. In verse 19, we see it in their words. They say, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was 
a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Like all of that had happened and man, what they really thought was going to happen, that he was going to rescue Israel. And Jesus rebukes them there in verse 25. It says, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. See, they had the prophets, they had the scriptures, but they missed the whole point. And Jesus wasn't just letting them off the hook, right? He came to them in their confusion, but he rebuked them. He said, why are you so slow to see what has been before you this whole time? You've been looking at all of this the wrong way. And in verse 26, he continues, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter his glory? It's like they should know that already, right? And it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus takes the opportunity to give them a Sunday school lesson here, right? It says that he walks with them all the way through scripture, showing them that all of scripture is about him. All of the Old Testament scripture is pointing to Jesus. And so we back up, we look at the big picture of what God has done, of his action throughout history. We see that it was about Jesus. And there's a critical lesson here. Jesus is at the center and at the core of all scripture. But he's not just at the center of the Bible. He is at the center of history. He's the center of the whole world, of all human history. Everything revolves around Christ. Everything on the landscape of human history points to Jesus. So Jesus explains all of that to try and correct their thinking and give them the big picture. I don't know if you've ever watched um, a movie that you get to the end and maybe has a surprise ending. Uh, one movie like that is The Sixth Sense. I don't know if you've seen that, but I remember watching that, and all the way through it, I'm kind of confused. It was somewhat entertaining. There were some interesting things happening, but I was kind of confused until I got to the very end. Sixth Sense is one of those movies that you have to watch twice, right? Because when I watched it the first time, I was just like, dude, just say something to her. Just talk to her. Come on, make this right. Little did I know that, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you, but he's dead the whole time. He's really dead. Um, when you find that out at the end, then you go back and watch it again, and then all the little things start to make sense. They fall in place, and you really see and understand what is being communicated there. And so when we understand the full story of God, and we look back throughout history, the history of mankind, the context of the truth of Scripture, and the fullness of God's plan and activity, then it opens up not only Scripture to us, but our faith. It opens up our faith and grows our faith as we see God's activity from the beginning of time. Because listen, a partial understanding of Scripture, a partial understanding of the Word of God is dangerous. That's where we get cults. That's where we get um, off track of God's truth and what God wants to teach us and the truth of what God is saying to us. And so today we'll keep it just to Moses and the prophets. What I want to do is I want to look back at what Jesus communicated to these men. As Jesus looked back and, and, and tried to help them understand that everything, everything up to this point has pointed to Jesus, has led to the gospel. All of it is part of the gospel. Now, I won't presume to speak for Jesus' exact words, but we have 
the source of what he had. We have the source of the Old Testament in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. So we, can, we have a good idea of what Jesus talked about, what he showed them in Scripture. So this morning, I want us to just take a quick look back at what Jesus was teaching them and the Old Testament and all of Scripture and look at God's complete redemptive plan because that's what it is. It's all the story, God's redemptive work, God pursuing, seeking to restore you and me to himself. And the pinnacle of that is Christ on the cross and rising from the grave. And so I want to look at just a couple points here as we look back at the big picture of God's word and God's message to us. And the first is we see the standard. I'm sure Jesus went back. He mentions Moses. Moses, God revealed to Moses and to Israel who he is and how he is. So Jesus surely, surely took them to the Torah that they would be familiar with. These first five books of the Hebrew scriptures the authored by Moses, right? From the very first chapter in Genesis, as you look back, Genesis 1.26, talks about Jesus right there. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's God talking about? He's talking about him, the Godhead Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus specifically says to these men, he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter in his glory? And then he went to Moses and the prophets. Why did Jesus have to suffer? He's showing them in scripture why he had to, to suffer. And it starts with the standard. God set the standard. He set the stage at the beginning of time for us and how we're to live life and how we're to live in a relationship with him. We see Jesus in the law, the law of Moses. Jesus talked about it with several people in his life that we have, an, we have an accounts of in the Gospels. But Jesus in the law, see, God gave the law to demonstrate his holiness, right? His righteous standard. I am the Lord your God. You shall not have any gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Be careful to remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give dishonest testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he gave the law, right? He gave the law to Moses. He gave it for the purpose of two things. One, showing us, demonstrating us who God is. His righteous standard, perfect and holy and good. And it's also to show us who we're not, our fallen nature, that he holds up the law. He gave the law so that we would look into it and see that we are broken, right? That we need redemption. By demonstrating his holiness and our fallen nature, God was laying the foundation and showing mankind that we've all missed the mark. He talks about that in the prophets as well, as Jesus said in Isaiah 28, 17. God said, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. What he's saying is, I am going to demonstrate through the law, through my word, through my people, who I am, righteous and just. And when we look into the perfect law of the Lord, when we look into his righteous standard, we see that we are falling short. We have fallen short. So we see that righteous standard of God. But then, like I said, we see our sin. We see the sin. 
In Isaiah 53, as we look at the prophets, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And Isaiah, the prophet, was saying, there's a righteous standard, and we have not met that standard. And our sin has separated us in that relationship with God. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? This, these passages of Scripture are actually pointing towards Jesus because He is going to be the standard. He is going to meet the standard. He is going to be our redemption. But first and foremost, we have to understand our brokenness and God's perfect righteousness. Jesus quoted Isaiah when He said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, to these, to these hypocrites, to these um, Pharisees. You remember in Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, and he talked about the law. He said, you know the law. He quoted the Shema. And he got through those, those certain commandments, and the man says, you know, basically, Jesus said, keep the commandments. The man said, I do that all the time. And Jesus said, okay, sell all that you have and follow me. Jesus said, put me first. Honor the Lord your God first. Have no other gods before me. And the man could not even do that. Jesus was showing him through the law that he fell short. Jesus said, put me first. The rich young ruler said, I won't. I can't do that. So our sin has produced a separation from God and has also produced death. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's critical because surely Jesus is looking back. He's showing them from the beginning, uh, it says there, through Moses and the prophets. He's showing the gospel and how it all points to Jesus and you may say, well, how does, our, how does our brokenness, our fallenness point to Jesus? We're going to see that in a minute. See, God created us for relationship with Him according to His design, according to His purpose. And we've, we've missed that. We've missed the mark. And we see it over and over again in Scripture. And this is the part that we don't like to spend much time on, but we all know it deep down that we're broken, right? Jesus shows these two on the road to Emmaus that the story of redemption and salvation has been the story of redemption from the beginning of time. God has been pursuing us, and we've been running from Him. God pursues, we run throughout the history of mankind. He was telling these two disciples, it's not about Rome. It's not about Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about politics or culture. It's about Jesus and from the beginning of time, God has been pursuing, restoring our relationship with Him. His mighty, His perfect standard, our sin, and how we've missed that standard, but also 
salvation through the solution who is the savior Isaiah wrote and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all see that's why Jesus came Jesus didn't come to be a social worker he didn't come to to, to heal everybody physically he didn't come to to straighten out the government or or release the the slaves or the prison any of those things he came to bring redemption to heal that brokenness that our sin has caused between us and God Almighty and all of Scripture is that story leading up to Jesus the solution surely we see Jesus in the Passover they had just celebrated Passover you know Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room before his arrest and they had the Lord's Supper there they were celebrating Passover the Passover lamb that had uh, without blemish and without spot that was sacrificed and the blood was shed and splattered on the doorpost and on the side beams so that the angel of death would pass by the house when the children of Israel were being released from slavery in Egypt remember that Jesus said I am the true Passover lamb I protect you from divine judgment my blood shed on the cross when that's applied to your heart, when that's applied to your life, then we are protected. We are covered. The angel of death passes over. Jesus had that last supper. And he told them, he's given himself as the lamb to be sacrificed to deliver them and to deliver you and I. God demonstrated through that event, that Passover event, back, uh, it's recorded in Exodus chapter 12. He demonstrated through that event that sin must be atoned for, right? The wages of sin is death, and the payment is the blood that was applied. John one twenty nine says, The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was given as the Lamb of God. Even in the Passover, when God commanded the Israelites to slaughter the lamb and place the blood on the doorpost, he was pointing towards the sacrifice that was to come, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Remember, the soldiers came when Jesus was on the cross, and they broke the other two thieves' legs so that they would breathe their last breath but they did not break Jesus's legs they pierced him in the side John 19 says for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken Jesus points them back to the Old Testament scripture he's a fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture of that lamb that was slain and in Exodus chapter 12, when they talk about that Passover lamb, it says it must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. See, Jesus was fulfilling that passage of Scripture. He was fulfilling the role of the Passover lamb for you and for me. Jesus was the payment. He covers our sin. Even though we've missed the mark, even though we've not met God's perfect standard, He pursued us again. He pursues us. He's continually pursuing us in his love and provided an unblemished lamb that would cover your sin and cover mine. Surely, we see Jesus 
in the Day of Atonement, back in Leviticus 16, the Yom Kippur that we celebrate today, we see in the details that God gives the priest, He gives the children of Israel in going through this ceremony, we see <clears throat> that He's pointing to Christ in all of that. Jesus, the high priest, and the blood of the Lamb. The high priest goes in he, um, to the temple. Leviticus 16 tells us about how he comes in and he has to go through all, these, <clears throat> all this ceremony to be pure. He has to bathe himself, puts on a special tunic, special undergarments, a special sash. God is teaching us about his holiness in that whole process. He has to, to shed the blood of a bull for his own sins so that he can go into the Holy of Holies. And then there are two goats that he brings in, and, and one of them is the sacrificial lamb that he would sacrifice and shed his blood. It says in Leviticus 16, 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people. Jesus, that goat is representing Christ. It is pointing towards Jesus, the sacrificial lamb for our sins. And then we have the other goat in that, uh, ceremony in Leviticus 15, uh, 16, the scapegoat, the Azazel, right? The scapegoat, it says in verse 20, when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins. He put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. That is Christ. In that whole ceremony, he's pointing to a savior. He's pointing to the redemption that he would provide through the precious, perfect lamb of God. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 and 27, he says, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, Jesus is the high priest for you and for me and for all the world. And he came and he sacrificed, giving his own blood, shedding his own blood as the perfect lamb of God, lived a sinless life, allowed himself to be hung on the cross and murdered and shed his blood for your sin and for mine. And he did it once for all time. He did it once for all of your sin and for all of mine, that we would just put our faith in his sacrifice and quit trying to make our own sacrifices for sin, try to make ourselves better, but trust in the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. God was pointing us to Jesus even in that, setting the foundation for the atonement of sins for you and for me. Now on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Religious Jews acknowledge this day by confessing their sins and seeking to make amends with others so that the coming year will be a blessed one. But Jesus ultimately fulfilled all of that on the cross. That we don't have to do that every year. We don't have to do that on and on and on. We put our trust in what Jesus did. 
That's why he said the Savior must die, must suffer and die to purchase my redemption and to make this relationship healed between me <clears throat> and God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. See, a lot of people say, oh, well, God, you know, we just kept messing up and God just tried several things and tried the sacrifice system, tried all these things, and then just kind of said, oh, you know, I get a good idea. I'll send Jesus. No, from the beginning of time, God was pursuing us. He had this plan of redemption and he prepared us. He prepared us throughout history, working through Moses and the prophets and the children of Israel and the story of mankind. He showed us and prepared us that he's pursuing us and showed us his love. And we see that in Moses and we see it in the prophets, right? In Isaiah 53, 7, it tells us that the lamb would not open up his mouth to defend himself at his trial. And Jesus did not. And in Isaiah 53, 12, it says that Jesus would be, in, <clears throat> the sacrifice, Jesus would be included with criminals in his death. And there was two thieves on each side of Jesus. And he was supposed to be buried in a criminal's grave in Isaiah 53. It said that he would be with the rich in his death. And we remember that Jesus had been in the tomb of a rich man. Remember Joseph of Arimathea, all these promises, <clears throat> all these prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And so Jesus is showing these two confused disciples, according to their own words, expecting one thing. They were expecting to be rescued, that the Israelites would be delivered, right? But the Messiah suffered these things. Jesus came and suffered and died, not for all those other things. So when the disciples were confused about his dying, they were sad about his being crucified. See, the sufferings of Jesus were not only no objection against him being Messiah, they were not proof of against, against him being Messiah, they were actually the proof of him being Messiah because it was necessary for him to go through that process, to go through that sacrifice of himself, of his blood, according to the very scriptures. Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. It's a beautiful passage of scripture that Jesus fulfilled. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is saying to these two disciples, that's me. Isaiah was pointing to me. The prophets, Moses, all that you've been learning about has been pointing to me. I'm the one. I am the Messiah. I'm the son of righteousness rising with healing 
in His wings. The Lamb that was slain for you and for me. That's the message of Easter. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every day. Jesus was and is and is to come. Our Redeemer and Savior. And so these disciples, like many today, were confused because they were expecting one thing and Jesus was doing something else. Listen, today, whatever concerns you have, whatever burdens you have, whatever temporary um, struggles you have, Jesus sees to the heart of it. In our small group this past week, we were talking about bringing our cares to Jesus, right? And our prayers and, and trusting him and some, someone gave the analogy of a child bringing a broken teddy bear, right? A, a toy to their father to fix it. And, and we often, uh, we give him, ask him to fix it, but we hold on to the arm of the teddy bear. We won't quite let him do what he wants to do to it. And I was thinking about that this week. It's a great analogy. But God did something in my heart this week as I thought about that. He said oftentimes we, we bring our concerns, our issues, our needs, our broken toys to the Lord. And oftentimes Jesus is not necessarily reaching for that toy. Jesus is reaching for me. We think it's about what we think it's about, but Jesus sees to the heart. And that's why he came. That's why he suffered and died. That's why he fulfilled all of scripture and accomplished the Father's grand will and plan for you and for me and for all the world. And when he cried on the cross, it is finished. He was saying, the plan is complete. I am all that you need. Yes, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Put your faith in me. He looked at these two that he was walking with and, and said, stop trying to fit me in your box. Stop trying to put me in your comfortable God compartment in your life. I'm not here just simply help you accomplish your plans and dreams, but I'm here to retrieve you, to redeem you to the Father, to give you a new heart, to give you new desires. I am not an addition to your life. I am everything. I've come to fulfill the Father's will for you and for your life. From the garden to revelation in Scripture, around the throne in heaven, God's redemptive plan over and over. He is pursuing us. It's the central, it's the central theme of all of Scripture. And it's God's message to you today. If you're a believer, your response to all this is, Hallelujah, praise God, I can trust Him. I trust Him. <clears throat> this should strengthen my faith as I reflect and look back all the way back from the beginning of creation. God has been pursuing a relationship with me and He accomplished it through Jesus. I've received that and I can live with peace, walk in peace with my Creator. He pursued us. He's continuing to grow you. You're not the center of the story, though. He is. Let's keep him at the center of our lives, the center of our focus. His purpose for my life for today is so much greater than anything you and I could plan, right? And Jesus made it possible that the plan that God has for your life, the fulfillment, the meaning that we're searching for, he made that available to you and to me through his plan his redemptive plan 
through Jesus. This passage tells us that they went on and walked for a while, got to the village and they sat down and had a meal. And then it says their eyes were opened to who Jesus was. <clears throat> and then he disappeared. But they said an interesting thing to one another after he left. In verse 32 it says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? Listen, maybe this morning you've heard uh, this passage of Scripture. You've heard the message of Christ. You've the message of redemption and salvation. You've heard other messages maybe. You sense the Holy Spirit stirring within you. You sense a type of burning in your heart. That is the Spirit of God speaking to you drawing you, calling you to come, surrender. Surrender to this healing that God has been working out since the beginning of time and he's been pursuing you. <clears throat> Listen, God has been pursuing you your whole life. He's reaching out to you again today. Say yes. Like he said to, to Thomas, stop disbelieving and believe, trust Surrender all your preconceived ideas and notions about who God is, who Jesus was and is, and, and trust the message of the, the gospel, the message of salvation that God has been writing since the beginning of time and, and that he made clear and put an exclamation point on when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Respond the way that Thomas respond, responded. And the only way to place our faith in Christ is to say, my Lord and my God. God has been working throughout mankind's history through Jesus. God has been working in your life. God has been pursuing you. God has been whispering to you. And he's speaking to you again today, calling you to himself. Listen, none of us can stand up to God's perfect standard his holiness. We're all broken. We're all fallen. But he provided a solution, he provided a savior to bring us healing and to bring us to his side so that we can live this life. Even though we're still in a fallen world, we can live with hope. We can live with peace because our debt has been paid and we are restored to our father. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your redemptive story. The big story from the beginning of time and all throughout Scripture, we see you're pointing again and again to Jesus. Everything that you did, everything that you said was pointing to redemption, was pursuing us, was pursuing the redemption of your children and your glory, God. So God, this morning, I, I just pray for everyone who's hearing this message, Lord, that we would sense that burning within us because it's not... It's not uh, anything that we can do. It's the power of your Holy Spirit taking these words and burning them in our hearts, drawing us to yourself because it's what we were created for. And so God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for not stopping halfway. Thank you for not giving up on mankind, but seeing it through to the day of uh, glory when we see you face to face. Thank you that uh, you saw it through the cross, and through the empty tomb, you've seen the story. You've pursued us with the redemption story even to today. God, may we respond in faith. May we respond by saying, my Lord and my God, and surrender to you today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. 
Thank you for pursuing us, God. May we respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.